Hello, and welcome to Looks Unfamiliar, the show that remembers when live TV's transmission broke down, and the still image from the edition of Strip Master Brain, featuring future Big Brother contestant Susie Verico, was stuck on air for almost two days. Hilariously, it was from before she started stripping. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that she remembers, and no one else ever seems to, is comedian Ros Ballinger. Ros, what are you up to and where can we find it? I am doing a Camden Fringe show from the 7th to the 11th of August. It's called Better Than Dying Alone. It's my second solo stand-up show. It's about Tinder, sex, love, loneliness and silly things like that. So if you're in London or near London, that's my, that's my major next project. So I'm doing a preview in Manchester on the 18th of July. Right, well I'm not saying that when I'm not researching books and familiar I can identify with all of that, but let's just leave that to the listeners to figure out. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on to your first choice, which is represented by this amazing bit, and I'll come to why it's amazing this survives, that I found on YouTube. It must be worth something. Maybe a lot. Well, why is Dan after it? It's only plastic. I could use this. Definitely could. Are you going to get me that lake? Or do I make you? No, no. Investigate the mystery of Henry's lake in a great serialised story on Mondays and Thursdays at a quarter to five on Children's ITV. Okay, well, as you might have already worked out, that was a trailer for Henry's Leg, which is a 1986 children's ITV drama, but they repeated it loads. And I'm quite surprised they did. Roz, tell me why you remember it so fondly. I remember it fondly because when I was growing up, my mum, yeah, I assume assume it was my mum. My mum would take the time out to do this. She recorded lots of audio dramas onto cassette tapes. So we had stuff from all the BBC channels and other channels as well. And she recorded children's stories that were broadcast as radio plays. And we had them all backed up and we would listen to them. Me and my brother both had these big, bulky black cassette players. This was sort of the mid to late 90s. And there are some audio dramas from that period that I remember incredibly well. You know, I even remember some of the music and the dialogue and that sort of thing, because I listened to them so many times. It just kind of got embedded in my memory. And but this one, I remember it both for being incredibly unusual, but I can't remember much about it. But I remember such specific details, the few details I do remember. I couldn't have made it up. I couldn't have made up anything that weird. And I just remembered there was a drama about a kid with a rough home life called Henry who found like a mannequin leg in a skip behind a building. And he didn't know where it came from, but he got obsessed with this leg. And then through that, he becomes embroiled in some kind of, I think, gangland mystery, something not really tangentially related to a missing leg. Later on in the drama, I I recall he finds the other leg, I think in a different skip. But (laughs) these are my my vague memories of this. And through his involvement in this, he becomes a more fulfilled person and has an adventure, you know, out of his normal, rough, boring home life. But just I remember a few very specific details and that's it. I don't remember what happens. I don't remember. But I remember enough that Henry found a leg. And I think it was called Henry's leg. And I must have blanked this from my memory. Then I remembered it maybe two years ago when I was half asleep. Well, that was weird. That was weird, wasn't it? (laughs) And so I thought I can't have made that up because that's just too peculiar to think of. But also I, I couldn't find any record of it. And I didn't even know who broadcast it, really, or who was in it. 
So that that was my memory of. I recall it as a radio drama. I didn't realise it had been on TV. So maybe there was a TV adaptation as well. There was. I mean, apparently it was originally a book in 1985. But like I say, the version I remember was it was made by TVS for ITV. Um, as we've mentioned on here a couple of times, there's a whole weird rights thing with TVS now where nobody can release any of their stuff because of some very odd contractual thing with Disney. And apparently the master tapes of Henry's leg have gone missing, which is baffling because, like I say, it was repeated endlessly. I just remember being on sort of at least about at least four times, which is really unusual for that kind of drama. I had to quick look back at it to convince myself that I wasn't making up who the cast were. Henry was played by Courtney Roper-Knight, who was in quite a few children's series around that point, but is also in a series called Hardwick House, which is an ITV sort of alternative comedy sitcom that was taken off after two episodes. He was a South African pupil in that. It was set in a sort of run-down school. Aside from him, as if that wasn't good enough, Alex Kingston was one of the gang, a very young Alex Kingston. Oh, right. Wow. Ian Congdon, who was Ted in Grange Hill, and also a guy called... In this, he's called Colin Haywood, and he's an actor who's in quite a lot of things. And a couple of years after Henry's leg, he turned up as half of a band called Yell, who had one hit with instant replay and then disappeared. Purely coincidentally, while that record was out, Henry's leg was being repeated on children's ITV. He changed his name because there were already too many Haywards in pop, even though it was spelt differently to Nick Hayward. What what, what was his rationale? It's around the time that record companies were trying to tell artists what to do. I mean, because there's that whole weird thing with Vanilla Ice initially. He came up with all these bizarre claims that he said the record company, he said the record company had told him to say. I can't remember what half of them were, but I remember mm. Collins and McConey saying, as well as being world unicycle champion, first man on Mars, and able to assume goat form at will, I was at school with NWA. And that, that isn't that far removed from the, <laughs> the Vanilla Ice claims, but I think it was just because the record company had probably said to him, say you're this age. And then there's a TV programme on that indicates, nice. you know, what, he might have been like 18 months older. But in pop, when you're aiming at that market, that makes all the difference, I suppose. So, OK, interesting. So so there was an audio drama, because I, I only ever remember it being on the radio. The risk of making you feel old, when that would have been originally broadcast on telly, I wouldn't have been alive. So it, it would have been, I think it would have been, the, the radio release, I assume, would have been mid-90s, like 97 or 98, because I remember listening to it when I was about seven or eight, I think. Yeah, it looks like it was Radio 4 in 1998, as far as I can tell. That sounds about right, yeah. But no, I, I had no clue that it was um, that it was on TV first. So it must have been adapted from a book, presumably. I'm just looking up who the cast were for the radio version. Bridget Forsyth was in it. Okay. And nobody else I've ever heard of. The audio dramas I remember were kind of an interesting mixture of quite famous actors and sort of people you, you'd not heard of. I think they sort of had a star name per one. But I, I, that one might have been a bit more obscure, potentially. But yeah, no, I, I don't really remember the plot in great detail. I just remember he found the leg and it just kind of spiralled out from there. I think he got involved with the wrong people and he it was, it was spies or gangsters or something like that. I think they had some swag hidden in the leg, from what I can remember. Yes, of course. Oh, that's that's it, yes. This is like the first time I've remembered this in about 15 years. Yeah, they, weren't there diamonds in the leg? This is not a sentence I've ever said before. I think there may have been diamonds in the leg, <laughs> if I'm thinking about it. So that's that's a revelation. Yeah, because now it's all coming back to me now. He found the other leg. He, I think he found the other leg and he found the diamonds in it. 
and then he became hero of the day. But I can't remember if it was the first leg or the second leg. But I do remember, I think, they'd split this mannequin into bits, and they, they'd hidden bits, and I think he stole it, and then... Yes, no, of course. God, I can't believe I forgot that. That makes so much more sense as well. I'd, I'd not even thought about that. I mean, why else would they need it if they weren't going to smuggle something in it? OK, well, we're staying with radio dramas for late 90s, and I assume with your tapes for your next choice, but because I've not been able to find a clip, we've got something completely unrelated. Somewhere in deepest space... All hell is breaking loose. They cut the power. How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. Get them out of there! Aliens. This time, it's war. Aliens. The new movie. Rated R. Okay, well that was the trailer for Aliens, because technically, we're waiting for Aliens in your next choice, which is, Ross? This is another obscure possibly BBC audio drama. This is the issue with doing this when you were born in the 90s. Every kind of cultural experience I've had, there is an archive and there is a record of it because the internet was essentially invented a few years after I was born or released. So there's very little that I experienced culturally back then that, that is not very easily findable. But this seems to be one that wasn't. And it, I remember that this is one of the ones I remember incredibly vividly because I listened to it so much. And it was, it was called Waiting for Aliens, and it was about two school children. And this, this woman, this mad woman, turns up at their school, and they talk to her, and it emerges that her brother went missing 20 years before, and she believes he was abducted by aliens. One of the school kids is sceptical, the other one, you know, listens to her. And they, they find her quite convincing, and so they kind of stake out to try and find the aliens, essentially, and they, they make friends through that. And it all comes with a background of the girl's home life being a bit disrupted. Her parents are divorced and she doesn't really see her dad and her mum's sort of depressed. And she she and the, the other guy are like sworn enemies to start off with, but they kind of bond over in detention. I remember this so well. I remember very vividly that the girl was played by an actress called Ellie Bevan, who was in a TV series that I watched when I was about seven or eight. It was on CBBC. I think it was called Wild House set in this big rickety house and she's a teenage girl and her mad family lives there. And I think she was in some other dramas as well. I don't know if she's still active. So yeah, no, I, I've looked on YouTube, I've, I've Googled it, because it was a good drama, I remember it being very good, because I remember it very vividly, but no, I never found a record of it. So unless I had a very extensive and detailed hallucination, I'm not sure if, if any archive was kept of that one. I have looked through, I found it hasn't been on Radio 4 Extra, which it was on Radio 4 in 1997, but I did find out a couple of things about it. One is that Danielle McCormick, who was later in, convenient enough, My Parents Are Aliens, was in it. Oh, right. <laughs> it's written by Pete Johnson, who has written a lot of sort of teen thrillers and teen horrors, but he also wrote a book that we're going to be hearing a lot more about in the future instalments of this called Secrets in the School Underground. The surprising thing is, I assumed there would have been a book of this, and there isn't. And I've been through what I can see the synopses for his other books, and it doesn't seem like he adapted it, which is really weird, because he's got... I don't think you could even say dozens. I'd say nigh on a hundred books to his name. And this right. doesn't appear to be one of them. It's interesting because it's it's very adaptable and it's it's the sort of thing that, you know, a teenager or a child would really go for because it is science fiction essentially well, sort of science fiction. And it, it it's kind of cross genre really, because it's about well, the aliens thing is kind of a framing device, but it's about kind of being a teenager and, and family dysfunction and that sort of thing. So no, it's, it's surprising that it wouldn't be adapted if it had done that with everything else. Because, you know, 
kids would read that. Well, it does sound quite similar to a series that I remember very fondly, a BBC TV children's drama from the late 80s called Aliens in the Family. Well, it's kind of a similar thing about two lots of kids that were brought together by their divorced parents marrying and they hated each other, but then they found this sort of hunky young male alien who got stranded on Earth as part of a test, and they had to shield him and help him complete this test and avoid the weirdigans, as they were called. The main reason I remember Aliens and the Family was the BBC had this weird thing around then of trying to put one shock moment into children's dramas, presumably chasing, I don't know, headlines and notoriety, but there were things like, I mentioned Courtney Roper Knight earlier, he was in one called The December Rose, where he was a kind of a Victorian, I can't remember if it was a sweep or not, it was a bit where he went, it's all shit, I fell in all shit, on children's BBC at 5pm, there were a few other things like that. I think there was one called The Cuckoo Sister where somebody said, shut up, you posh bitch. Uh, but <laughs> in Aliens and the Family, because you've got these sort of two groups of kids hating each other, there's one where they start throwing their belongings at each other, saying, you know, who still reads Miz and things like that. And one of them says, I won't have things thrown at me by somebody who daubs herself with grow bust and throws this jar of I don't know what at one of the girls. and like, what? I still don't understand why that was in there. The one I remember the most was, you know, when you, you watch something as a kid and then you come back to it as an adult and you realise the the main actor in it was someone you watched constantly but you didn't know it was them. It was a series called Legend of the Lost Keys. That was Andrew Sachs playing the main adult lead and that was another sort of children's drama with learning in it. No, that was Andrew Sachs playing like their uncle and... Even though I'd watched him for years in Faulty Towers as a kid, because that's you know I was brought up with a good sort of comedy staples. Um, I never put two and two together, and and then that familiarity comes flooding back when you when you go back and rewatch it. But were they sort of ancient mystical mythical keys, or just some lost keys? They were ancient um, mythical keys that that opened. There were three of them. They opened this. It was like Narnia. It was, to be fair, I'm thinking about it actually, it was a massive Narnia ripoff looking back. But they, they opened this box, and then when the box was open, there was, there was this, like, other universe in it, this other world, like, sort of mixed between Narnia and the Borrowers, I suppose. And the keys had gone missing, and they had to find them to save this universe because it was going to be destroyed, something along those lines. It was good quality stuff. I think if you've got Andrew Sachs fronting your series, I think that's a good sign. But yeah, there, was, there was a few series that were like that. So I had those at, at school, on telly, or on video, and then... It was more about the the radio stuff at home. I think I listened to far more things on radio than I watched them on telly. So is it an ambition of yours to be in one of these dramas on the radio then? <laughs> Maybe I should do. I mean, I don't know. I'm always very impressed by radio actors because of the limitations that you have and how you have to express yourself using just your voice. And there's a great bit in one of the Adam and Joe podcasts about 10 years ago where they talk about the power of sighing on the archers. <laughs> to be good on the archers, you have to uh, just walk into rooms and sigh. Oh, morning. Just looking at the drainage, that sort of thing. And, and then I think I listened back to the archers once and they were completely right about that. But no, having like I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks as a teenager as well, um, like Philip Pullman books and stuff done by and the Harry Potter ones. Obviously, everyone listens to those, and was always very impressed with just the one person that could do multiple characters. And like I could never do that in a million years. Like, I'm not an actor. I think people think I'm an actor because I do comedy and I do poetry and I do performance. But now I, I that's my nightmare. I can't be another person. I can't do accents. I can't 
sound spontaneous and genuine if I'm not really. So it would be it would be an interesting experience certainly, and I think I've I've got a good sort of posh, adaptably posh voice because I've got the RP going on, and I think I could enhance that and, and do some kind of character, but. No, I, I don't have the skills, but I'm very impressed by people who can do that because of, you know, the limited scenarios you've got to work with. Well, maybe you could go into voiceovers, which brings me into your next choice, which, well, I would say you could do the voiceover for this advert, but I haven't got an advert because there's yet another that we've got no clip for. What you will need for this week's hobby? A public house, a gullible man, a flask of weak lemon drink... And a plastic bag full of different pieces of fruit. This hobby is a good hobby if you like fruit and getting free money off gullible members of the public. This hobby is called the Real Fruit Fruit Machine with Reels of Real Fruit Hobby. Right, well that was Simon Quinlight from This Morning with Richard Not Judy with his Real Fruit Fruit Machine with Reels of Real Fruit. Which is the nearest thing that I can find to your next choice because we've not even been able to put a name to it. Roz, tell us more about the ice creams that have real fruit in them. That's pretty much all it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just one of those things where you eat them a lot as a kid and then you kind of whatever reason you stop then you come back and you've, you you can't find them anywhere they, they were these ice lollies that were sort of lemon flavored and then in the middle they had what i probably assumed was real strawberry but in hindsight it was probably like some kind of synthetic e-number filled gloop but no, it certainly it certainly felt it certainly tasted like real strawberry and i was addicted to those from the age of about seven to twelve but i somehow never learned what they were called it's probably something incredibly like generalist like strawberry ices or something but no that was my favorite and they seem to have gone out of circulation which makes me worried for what was in them (laughs) i I don't know how many petrochemicals i was i was ingesting as a child if they're not on the shelves anymore because you know all the other ice creams of my childhood have remained in circulation all the sweets from my, my childhood are still in circulation so that one seems to have dropped off the shelves for reasons I don't quite know. I think they, I can see them having them in, in possibly flexibly licensed ice cream vans. I can imagine, you know, the big ice cream van up on the Morecambe front would probably have that. But no, that's it, really. Well, I did ask around to see if anyone could put a name to them. And it's actually former guest on the show, Will McLean, has suggested they were a kind of high-end reboot of the Lion's Maid Mivy. They were kind of a luxury version of that. And he said he found them just wrong. What, what, what's the, the lion's... What, what was that that he thought it was a high-end version of? Lion's made Mivy. I do oh, I've oh, never oh. known what the hell a Mivy is. It sounds like you're talking in code. <laughs> no, uh, the, the Mivy was kind of a... Well, I assume you can still get them. It, the bog-standard version was like a kind of vanilla ice cream with fruit-flavoured lolly around it. Okay. And the, the, oh, the target was normally to eat all the ice lolly bit and have the ice cream bit and then eat that separately. Because, you know, that, that's child logic that you eat the covering of something first. Every time I have a Magnum, I do that. And it's, it's a messy way of doing it, but I refuse to do it any other way. You know, once, once you, when you've been... It's like muscle memory. Once you've been doing it the same way for a long time, you just keep doing it that way. That sounds likely. Yeah, you'd sort of get to the fruit inside and it wouldn't be like the same. It wouldn't be as much as the ice around it. No, I, I honestly, I don't know what they were called. I can't, I don't miss them to the extent that I crave them, although in this weather I kind of do. <laughs> but um, no, I'm def- I definitely sort of, I do keep an eye out for them. Ribena Isis seemed to have been discontinued as well, which was another of my favourites as a kid and as a teenager, actually, because they, they were definitely selling them up until 2007. Ribena Ice, I'm sure, you, yeah, it's like Ribena sort of Calippo. I kind of went off them because I was walking home from the corner shop and I still lived with my parents and I was, I was eating one. 
And, well, Ribena ice is a long purple lolly, a long purple ice lolly. And when you're a teenager and you're in school uniform and you're walking home eating one of those in, in the manner in which you do, it, it turns out the men in the cars like hooting their horns at you because it looks like something else. So I've not really had one of those since then because I it just put me off because I didn't want to be harassed all the time. And sort of in between then and now, they seem to have dropped out of circulation, which is a shame because I would happily do that now because I'm not self-conscious about anything. And I'll just shout at anyone who shouts at me. And, you, and as you become an adult woman, you realise you don't need to be doing anything specific to be harassed on the street, particularly in this weather. You could just be walking and doing literally nothing else and wearing, you know, your scuzzy hoodie and leggings because you're going to the corner shop. Like, somebody will shout or hoot something at you. I've gone on a bit of a tangent, but, yeah, Ribena Ice seems to have dropped off the bill as well. All my favourites seem to disappear, which, again, makes me worry whether they were breaking the law in terms of how much sugar they had in them or something. Maybe they were dangerous to children. Well, there's a thing that I think all the... Because they were quite time-specific phenomenon, all the, the branded ice lollies, you know, like Mars and things as well. Have it, there was yeah. Mars ice lolly, things like that. They all seem to be disappearing now. and Maybe people have just gone off that full stop and what, that's where the Ribena ones have gone. Maybe. As for the real fruit ones, maybe they fell out of popularity because they actually had real fruit in them. And children were thinking, <laughs> no, I want sugar. I want additives. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's odd, really, because with the fruit thing, I only remember it being that flavour as well. I don't remember there being ever being any kind of range. There wasn't an orange one. There wasn't a lemon one or anything like that. It seems to have been very specific, what I, what I encountered. So maybe maybe one day I'll find it again. By the time my niece is old enough to eat a whole ice cream, I'll find one for her and I, I will teach her the ways, maybe. Well, it's it's not ice cream, but that does remind me of, this could only have happened to me. I once got detention because there used to be these crisps called Smith's Crispy Tubes, which are only available in Ready Salted. <laughs> and I said to my sister in school... Just when the assembly was about to start, because you mentioned them, I said, you can only get them in one flavour. And I got in trouble for, for talking when we were supposed to be talking. Oh, no, you, you remember those things. I hate Smith's Crispy Tubes for that reason. <laughs> no, I, I, I have that with certain foods. I remember when I was at school, I was at school kind of for about four years, and then the healthy eating initiatives kicked in, the sort of Jamie Oliver-backed stuff of, of the then Labour government. All the vending machines were replaced with healthy vending machines and the tuck shop was severely re- reduced and diminished. But I, I have some interesting memories of uh, Skittles for that reason because I got in trouble a few times because I would buy a bag of Skittles, put them in my blazer pocket. I would try open the bag enough that I could sort of subtly like dip, dip my hands in and, and collect a couple each time. And inevitably, I would make the tear in the bag too big and they would all spill all into my pocket and... Every time I walked, I would just rattle like maracas. <laughs> I just had loads of sweets in my pocket. But then, yes, that, that, that experience was cruelly taken away from me because the government tried to do something as sensible as making children eat healthily. And it, it did not work to the best of my memory. Children are resourceful and some of their parents are also equally resourceful and not particularly ethical. And they will just provide their precious child with the worst kind of food you can think of by handing it through the school gates. Well, yeah, it might not have worked, but you've given me a really good setup for your next choice, which <laughs> is another one we've not been able to find anything for, but at least we've got the person involved this time. Teddy Everman? Sarah, yes. Jack Ryan said you could help me with the Malfour arbitrage. How are you doing? 
what do you have? Yeah, this looks good. He has almost supped. Why have you left the chamber? Had he asked for me? Oh, no, you not. He has. We will proceed no further in this business. What's the hope, Trunk? Wherein you dressed yourself. And it slept since. And wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely. From this time, such I account thy love. Art thou afraid to be the same in thine own act and valour as thou art in desire? Pretty peace. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was then that made you bring this enterprise to me? Okay, well that's a couple of extracts from Hannah Taylor Gordon's showreel. But there's one thing it doesn't include in it. Ros, what are we missing? Yes, I remember watching something when I was in, I think it was in year eight, no, year nine or year ten. No, year, year nine I would have been. So I would have been about 13 or 14. And when you're sort of that age in like PSE lessons, you watch like safety videos, the sort of stuff that you would watch, you know, as children. Some, some of them were like danger ones, the sort of, the ones we've all seen where somebody gets electrocuted on a power line or accidentally wanders onto train tracks or gets stuck in a fire or something and it's like what should they do and some of, some of them was, those are quite traumatic when you're a kid like you, it's meant to be they stick in your brain and we had other ones when we got to like sex education age where they did that scare tactic of showing somebody with like severe, severe chlamydia or something like a picture and just to put you off you know having unsafe sex and stuff so they kind of the films kind of increased in maturity as I went through school but no, I, I just remember there being one that was just very generalist. It was about three or four teenagers, so they would have been the same age that we were when we were watching it. And I remember Hannah Taylor Gordon being in it because she had been in, she played Anne Frank in a, a multi-episode series, I think it may have been on Channel 4, back in 2001 maybe, or maybe a few years later. And because I had read Anne Frank as a teenager and watched and been very moved by that series, I cried my eyes out. I, I recognised it. It was one of my sort of earliest memories of seeing somebody in a film or a TV series thinking, oh, I've seen her in such and such. So it was her and another girl and another guy, a couple of other guys. And there's, it was multi-episode, but for some reason we only ever watched episode one, which kind of negates the whole, the point of the entire thing. But it, I think it was designed to be edgy-ish, but not too edgy. So, like, these two girls have this argument with this other girl because they filmed themselves on what was then quite a rudimentary camera phone at the time, insulting her, and she finds it. There was stuff about how they, you know, they were sitting together on the bus and they were hit on by these guys that were sitting next to them. But then, you know, they, they got off the bus and it was fine. But the lesson was, oh, you know, sit together and be safe. And then there was this other odd bit where this guy got his bike, he got mugged and he got his bike stolen. And he kind of comes in looking a bit bedraggled and his mum asks him what's going on. He's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And then, this is going to sound really weird, but it's genuinely what happened. I remember it. He, he gets up into his room and he's got this, like, this pen knife. And he just dramatically just sort of holds it in front of his face. And the implication is either that he's going to go out and seek revenge or something, that he, or he's thinking of self-harming. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it. But in hindsight, that's just a bit weird. Because there was no context to it, we never found out what happened afterwards. I don't know what the less I don't know what the lesson was there. There's no purpose of that at all. It's like that. This is burnt into my memory. There was a public information film that used to be on all the time when I was really young, where it lasted about ten seconds. And from what I can tell, 
a boy appeared to be trying to tightrope walk above a railway line. <laughs> and you saw him step out holding a pole and it cut to his friends like slamming their hands in front of their faces in horror. And, and even it. at that age, I thought, who actually does that? And what is he doing? I feel like with, with those, there seems to be a problem where they're either incredibly overblown and dramatic to such an extent that they're kind of designed to shock when you're a child. But then when you're an adult, you think... No, that was stupid. <laughs> that was just stupid and not very well executed. Or they're so subtle, or, or they they try they're trying so hard to be generalist and to cover issues and to leave it open to interpretation that they don't really make any effect on you. Like there was two, I think there was two more episodes of this thing, but they had, they only ever showed us one. And in hindsight, I think it must have been that they maybe maybe a teacher didn't turn up or somebody dropped a lesson plan or something. Because I, I, you know, I, I, quite consistent teaching at school. I, I, you know, I didn't have very many bad teachers. But something they just randomly show us this episode of this kind of manufactured teen drama, and then that's it. And I, I don't remember there being any specific moral discussions about that, or about you know what would you do? And yeah, it, it was bizarre. But I do remember Hannah Taylor Gordon being the, one of the main characters in it. And she would have been probably about the same age as I was at the time. She, she's been active. I think she, I think she's still active. But she's been active for a long time. Well, there is one. I would love to see this if anyone can help. That although I wasn't the main part in it, I was actually in something. And I don't know if it was ever actually released. Because when I was at school, I used to do extra work quite a lot. I was in a few adverts and things like that. Well, sometimes yeah. in Brookside, as one of Jackie Dixon's non-speaking mates. But they did a video... <laughs> For schools where she got involved with drugs somehow and because it wasn't being broadcast and they didn't have to pay me regular rates i was allowed to speak in that and i had one line which is jackie come on they have drugs and then, <laughs> i've never That's seen amazing. it i once got somebody who worked at mercy tv to check in their archives see if they could find it they couldn't find it I don't know what happened to it. I don't know anyone that saw it. Yeah, it's, it's all, it, it must be odd when you've been in something that you can't find because, you know, you know, it's on film somewhere. There is some kind of digital recording. It's like, it's like Waiting for Aliens. You know, that definitely existed. Yeah. It's got, to be, it's got to be out there on some kind of recording somewhere. But, and yet it just seems to, even with the resources we have, it just seems to have been lost somewhere. It's it's bizarre. I'm sure you'll you'll find it one day. You'll find it by accident, I think. I think I'll regret finding it when I do. <laughs> there was um I saw something a bit like this. You know Adam's the actor Adam Scott, he was in Parks and Recreation. He tweeted about this. Adam Scott had been in the music video for Drive by REM, where he where there's like essentially REM are like crowd surfing as like a gig. Oh yes. And he yeah. and he tweeted that he'd he'd sort of I think he referred to it as Zapruder-level analysis of watching this music video to try and pick himself out because he's in this crowd of people who are all waving their hands around. He knew he was there, but he couldn't find him. And then he tweeted recently saying, oh, my God, somebody actually found me. And there's a screenshot on Twitter, um, and you can see his face, and it's unmistakably him in, like, this screen cap of this music video. Like, I think he's catching one of the REM singers. And that reminded me of that, that sort of, he must have felt like he was going mad because he knew he was there, but he couldn't find any proof of it. And then obviously he becomes famous. And when you've got a lot of fans, they can do a lot of work for you. And somebody just found him in there and he was he was elated. That must have been so weird just seeing his face again. So maybe you'll have that one day. OK, well, I know one place that we definitely won't find it, which is in the search box of your next choice. And we've actually managed to find a bit of this one. So here we go. 
Hi there. Find your name on the list and click it. You might have to click one of the arrows to see more names. If you don't see yours, just click I'm new. What do you want to do? Okay, that was Thaddeus Pole, but you can call me Tad, introducing Microsoft Explorerpedia. Now, Roz, what was Microsoft Explorerpedia? Microsoft Explorerpedia was kind of like a mix between an interactive walkthrough video game and Wikipedia, but about the jungle. You would be kind of shown around, the, there would be different environments, so you could go to the Sahara or the rainforest, or I think it was just various kind of nature settings. And this American sort of kind of guide character would essentially show you around with sound effects, so you'd be pretending that you'd be walking through. But essentially all it really was was just a series of information pages with sound effects, really. I don't recall you could ever do anything in particular apart from click on certain things and read about polar bears or something. You know, I, m- I remember he would he would give commentary and say, oh, watch out for the piranhas, and and you would learn about different animals. And then I think the culmination of this was that you learnt about humans who are the most dangerous predator. And it, it was like, like the Wikipedia page, it had the picture in the corner. And it was uh, the picture of human was just of a baby, like an ordinary baby. The implication being, you know, it may look cute, but humans are the ones that kill all the animals. But it's not one because I remember being very excited about it when I played it as a kid. But yeah, again, when I look back on it, I think I must have been very easily pleased because it sounds very boring. But they, I think they did a good job of making essentially what was a wildlife Wikipedia into something very interesting because they included sound of, well, for, at the time, for the 90s, you know, decent sound effects and visuals and animations. And, yeah, that, that was all available on a, on a disc that you put into your parents' ancient computer. Certain sound effects and certain bits of dialogue just sort of stand out. I used to spend hours on that thing. Well, yeah, there were quite a few things like that that Microsoft did, which is easy to forget how impressive they were at the time. And they came yeah, free yeah. with computers, because the ones that I specifically remember were, there was Encarta, which was yeah. basically like an encyclopedia, and you could look up, say, I don't know, the loot or something, and there'd be a brief history of it and the sound clip. And, you know, yeah. that, that sounds like nothing now. And, it, you know, it hardly had any facts in it, but that seemed amazing then. But the other one, which being completely forgotten about, was Microsoft Cinemania. I No, we, we didn't have that one in the household, so I must have skipped over that it one. It was a database of films and sort of movie trivia and so on. Really, really odd, because it would highlight things that you wouldn't expect, like Dazed and Confused, which I think was only about two years old at that point, but that had a huge section and sound clips. I remember being really surprised by that, because it must have been 95, because it was the first PC I got, it had Windows 95, and it had a disc of Weezer singing Buddy Holly on it, which I was deeply <laughs> unimpressed by, because in America they got Jennifer Aniston showing you how to use your computer, which I would have preferred to Weezer, but Cinemania, the thing was, it was very weighted towards mainstream cinema, and it touted itself as the most, you know, the most sophisticated movie fact repository in the world. And, you know, the first thing you do, obviously, at that age, you type in Cannibal Ferox not found. Okay. It's, it's not that exhaustive then, is it? It's, I mean, it sounds like that would have been used as like a newfangled promotional tool for films that had just come out. So they said, oh, we're going to promote it and such and such. And also we, we're going to partner with Microsoft and have all this trivia available. It's like um, I've read about uh, the Blair Witch Project. It was one of the first films to use viral marketing on the internet to the point where people for a long time thought it was true because mm-hmm. the way they marketed it is, you know, 
obviously paranormal activity and all those have been done to death, you know, in terms of the way they market them. But that was the originator. So that sounds a bit like that, where they would, you know, release it kind of as a kind of a partnership with Microsoft and as a way of promoting them, really. That never occurred to me, but that sounds pretty likely, actually. Yeah, I know. I never got this because I think we, we had a Windows 95 briefly and then we upgraded to a 98. I think the 98 is the one we had for the longest period of our childhood because I remember the dial-up noise <laughs> as, as, if, as if it was yesterday. But no, there's, there's, there was a viral tweet that went round a while ago, you probably still find it somewhere, that showed... The cover, and I think it was, yeah, I think it was um, Jennifer Aniston and um, Matthew Perry guide you through Windows 95. And I think somebody tweeted a picture of it saying, I found the most 90s thing in the world. <laughs> and I, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. Um, and apparently it's just very cringy. Apparently it's them trying to be funny and failing. Cinemania, no, I never seemed to go up yet, that one. I think, I don't know if it was deliberate choice on my parents' part, but the ones we got were... I think sort of all the educational events. So we had in Carter, and there was another one, sort of half video game, but that was about exploring um, space. And there are other what there was one. I think it was like an in Carter spin-off, which is essentially just about the world. So there was a section on every country, and there was like I think most of the knowledge I have about the flags of the world comes from playing that game. That I forgot what it was even called, but it came out in about '98, I think where you would learn about flags and about statistics about countries and national anthems and and you'd get quizzes on different countries and things. Yeah, if it wasn't for that, like, I wouldn't know an awful lot of what I do now about the colours of flags and that sort of thing. Well, I think your parents would have been quite happy about that and considered it money well spent, but I don't know if they would have been quite as happy about you reading your last choice, if they even knew, which, again, not because I couldn't find anything, but because it's a very visual thing. Here's a clip related to it. We dig TV, we dig remote control, we dig the furry freak brothers and the twilight zone. We dig Marvel and DC, we dig Rundy MC, we dig Renegade Soundwave and AC DC. Okay, well that's Pop Bonita Selfs, Can You Dig It from 1987, where one of the items they mentioned digging is the furry feet brothers from which came Fat Freddy's Cat, Roz. How did you come across the adventures of Fat Freddy's cat? It was on my dad's bookshelf. <laughs> my dad still has the same study now that he's had for the last 15 years or so. My parents still live in the same house. And I kind of had free reign in there, essentially. So I used to explore a lot in there and try and read stuff that I was definitely not capable of reading. So dad had all the Proust's. I tried to read the Proust's because... I knew that Dad had spent so long reading them. I didn't get too far in, but that was when I was about 10. So if I tried at the age of 27, I'd probably get somewhere. He still has all his private eyes in there. I'm a regular reader of private eye. I've had it on subscription for about three years now. And when I was growing up, I would get them out and I would look at, look at them. Weirdly, this is, this is not a thing I've just thought about. Back in the day, I would just do, read the cartoons because I was too young to really engage with private eye in any intellectual way. And now, having been reading it for so long, I kind of skip the cartoons now because I, f I find them a bit, a bit derivative a lot of the time. But I, I read it. I don't tend to read the parody stuff or read the cartoons, but I read all the news and all the exposés in it. So I've kind of gone too far the other way. And there were the Wisdoms, which I, to this day, don't understand. or I neither understand what's in them or why he's got them because they're incredibly boring. He's had them since before I was born. He, they go back to 1987. So he's been collecting them for 31 years. All of them basically the same. They definitely all look the same. And, yeah, there was Fat Freddy's Cat, which was... 
I interpreted as a book of cartoons. But I don't remember them very vividly, but I'm sure there was at least a few of them that were definitely quite adult and not for young eyes. They are very adult. For anyone who doesn't know, the Fairy Feet Brothers was a... I think it was mainly late 60s, early 70s strip from America by Gilbert Shenton. There were three underground characters and their cat who it was all about chasing women chasing drugs dodging the police and you know basically kind of in your face nixon this is what we're up to and it's in so many ways it's not what a young child should be reading it's so odd because i i don't remember i'm googling it as we speak and i'm I'm trying to there are certain ones i recognize but i never interpreted them as particularly rude i think i maybe didn't get them oh god yeah no now i'm looking at this this is quite adult (laughs) That son of a bitch, Fat Freddy, has gone and locked me in his house. And all my friends are having... F- oh, no, memory's coming back to me now. He says, and all my friends are having fun fornicating and fighting outside. This calls for vengeance. I think... I have, I have a vague memory, I can't quite remember, of not knowing what the word fornicating meant, because I was about seven or eight, and asking my dad. I don't remember what his response was. I assumed something fairly bland and untrue. But, yeah, I, that was just a long word I'd not heard before. But there were certain jokes I must have got, though, because later on in that strip, he says, oh, I've got to let the cat out. I hope he didn't shit in my shoe again. And then and then sort of the last panel is Freddie saying, wait till he puts on his headphones. So I, I understood that because that's just a logical punchline. But there are certain bits that clearly went over my head. I'm going to have to look back at them and see what I missed, really, because I never knew it was that rude. But maybe it was. Well, that's every dad had a bookshelf very similar to the one you've described. Well, as I say bookshelf, my dad had shelves and shelves and shelves. And there's all kinds of things I remember reading from there that I probably shouldn't have done. You know, some because they weren't suitable for children, some because I just couldn't understand them. But there was one in particular that I remember, which was... I've never found a copy of this, but it was a 70s... I think it was a fundraising thing for the Amnesty International comedy galas that they did. And all I remember is on the front it had Queen Victoria saying, we are not amused. And on the back, she was laughing saying, now we are amused. But inside, there was, it was a page each by lots of different people, like Bill Tidy, the cartoonist, Willie Rushton, Neil Innes, Spike Miller, yeah. people like that. And the thing I remember most is it was a page by Francois Pascal, who, she's not very well remembered now, but she kind of, she was somebody who came up through, we probably better best call it, glamour modelling to be on the safe side but she turned out to be quite a good actress and very witty as well and she was quite often on panel Mm. shows she had a page of photo jokes in there that she put together now i think you can probably imagine why i found that page so interesting but do parents realize that kids are going to get hold of this stuff i think if there's anything that they would see as genuinely harmful they will make moves to i don't know my, my parents generally have this philosophy that I've sort of learned as I've got older, that they essentially just kind of, they didn't let me and my brother run wild or anything like that. But in terms of learning about stuff of that nature, they just kind of left us to it. Like, we we never got, like, I think I, you know, I think we both got the sex chat in certain forms, like, you know, how a baby's born, that sort of thing. And, we, you know, we told off swearing, that sort of thing. But I don't recall as being censored in particular we probably watched stuff we weren't meant to be watching at the age of seven or eight like the you know bomb films and stuff with violence and stuff with sex in because i think i think mum and dad knew that we were going to be affected by what was around us and what they were teaching us and kind of how we responded to it you know we're not going to read something rude and instantly be morally violated because that's not how it works so i think they were just happy to just leave us to it and i think that was the case with my dad's study like he didn't lock the door 
to the best of my knowledge, he didn't have a hidden porn stash, but you know, I'm not, that's not something I'm going to ask him. But yeah, I think he, he, he would have known that, you know, okay, she might find Fat Freddy's cat. She might ask me about some of it. She'd learn something that way. She can just enjoy it on its own merit because I just read the cartoons. I didn't really understand all of it, but I like the cartoons. It's like private eye. And then that develops into understanding the concept, the context later on. But there is, although there is a certain amount of negligence sometimes because my dad was a school teacher for a long time and he taught media studies and he had like horror nights on Halloween at his school. And at one point he had to take me with him because he had to like go and fetch something and then leave again. I think I was about five. And he just dropped me off with like some, his deputy and a bunch of teenagers for like maybe five or ten minutes. And the, the film that they were showing was The Shining. And it just happened to be the bit where he, he finds the twins in the hallway and, and there's the flashes of their dead bodies and the corridor covered in blood and, and that sort of thing. Now, I was five at the time. And I think, I don't recall his reaction, but I do remember being a bit traumatised by that because I think he, he'd either not seen The Shining or he forgot what happened. That was def- definitely an accidental moment of seeing something far too adult for what I was there for. But anyway, I think, I think a decent parent knows that they can't shield their kid from the world and they're going to learn stuff earlier than maybe they're going to need to utilise it for. We all learn about sex far too, you know, far too early in whatever form. You know, whether it's in jokes in magazines or books or stuff online, that sort of thing. It's not going to do any damage, it's just a bunch of cartoons, you know, or a bunch of naked ladies, like, it's not going to have a massive effect on in the long run if you're able to critically think about it. My dad's weird little obsession is the Scott missions to the Antarctic in the 1910s. He knows everything about that, and he's got so many books dedicated to it, and loads of, like, weird sort of historical merchandise. So a lot of the books that he has are about that. I've sort of picked up some knowledge through that. And if he ever goes on um, Mastermind, that'll be one of his special subjects. Or he could go on Who Wants to Be Millionaire? Have you as a phone a friend? And you can check it on Microsoft Explorerpedia as well. Ros, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've, I've learned an awful lot. I've, weirdly, I've remembered, like, way more than I've recalled. Well, at least it's free. A great big book of articles by Tim Worthington. More details, timworthington.blogspot.co.uk.